So we're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, if you'd like to turn there. There's always an interesting thing about planning worship services to me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts in a, in a worship service in terms of planning, you know, and the songs and the prayer times and the, the sermon and the announcements, you know, there's a lot of those kinds of things. There's a lot of people, uh, kind of making it happen and, um, behind the scenes and on the stage and in the nursery and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I love the way that, that God just coordinates everything and puts it all together. You know, and there's sometimes like when, so like, so Brady does the, the music planning and um, he'll send the songs out, you know, and I'm kind of like, okay, I'm curious to see how this will fit together, you know, and, uh, which is nothing against the, that's not what I'm saying, but like there are times I'm looking at, it, I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be cool to watch how it kind of all fits together, you know, and sometimes we plan it that way and sometimes we kind of don't and it just kind of works out and, um, this belief that God always puts what we need into our gatherings together, you know, like that's the dominant belief that, uh, between the songs, the sermon, the prayer time, the, the hospitality, the nursery, the announcements, the, the grass being cut, the AC working, hopefully that was kind of, like between all those things that God has exactly, uh, what all of us need for this group that's gathered together. And sometimes it may be like, yep, start to finish my entire experience with God's people today. I needed every single bit of it. And other times it might be like, yeah, there was this one phrase in this one song and that was what was for me, you know. Uh, He's always just setting the table for what we need when we're together. And there's nothing that is random, you know. And sometimes for me, it, it, it seems random maybe early in the week when I'm like trying to, I'm like, okay, I'm, we're going to look at Daniel in the lion's den and like, what in the world am I going to preach on from Daniel in the lion's den? Like, none of us are ever going to get thrown into a, like, lion's den, you know? Like, that's probably never going to happen. We are probably never going to face in our lifetime where the only, like, where there's a king that comes in and makes us only pray to him. Otherwise, we get thrown into a pit of lions, you know, that kind of thing. And so I just, I start digging, I start digging, I start digging, and turns out that there's like more, that there's too much here. So I might have to like split it into two weeks again. And God has something for us today in it and something for us next week. And I started off this summer, like the back half of the summer, I was like, you know, like things have been kind of heavy. Uh, you know, I was like, let's, I really feel like I just want to do some Old Testament narratives. So I was kind of have some fun with some of these old stories. And, and sure enough, we're talking about idolatry and suffering and like all these like deep, heavy things. And um, I get into this one. I'm like, well, maybe Daniel and the Lions going to be our kind of lighthearted, you know, one. And I'm not saying this is going to be lighthearted, but it's also not going to be as heavy as last week. So if you came last week and you're like, dude, I can't take another suffering sermon. This is not going to be it, I, I assure you. But it is one that I'm going to have to split into two. Otherwise, we'd be here for a really long time. Um, Daniel in the Lion's Den, chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. I'm going to read some of it and kind of talk about some of it. And, and, um, but there's something here today for you, is my point. Could have been the prayer time, could have been the songs, could have been the sermon, could have been all of it, could have been whatever. But what we have to do is we have to pay attention to why, God, why did you bring us here today? Um, his exaltation is enough. So even if you walk away with, with nothing, you know, quote unquote, you really, you did exactly what you're supposed to do. That's enough. But also he has something for us. He wants to feed us. And so um, let's see what God has for us in Daniel chapter six. Um, starting in verse one. I'm going to kind of hop around, so just hang in there with me. 
Verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So basically just a political structure, Daniel's very high up. Verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Okay, so these dudes were super jealous of him and they were like, we're going to take this guy out, but they couldn't find anything. And so what they did was they go to the king, they convince him to pass an, an, an edict saying for 30 days, you can't pray or petition any God. You can only pray or petition to the king himself. Otherwise you get thrown into a den of lions. So that was the, that was the trap that they set for Daniel in order to like destroy him. So skip to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, like the don't, don't pray to anyone document, he went to his house where he had win- windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. So it worked, right? They set him up. And uh, so they go and they, of course, tattle on him and they tell the king. The king really likes Daniel, so he tries to find a way around the lion, whole lion's den thing, but he, he can't. And so uh, he, con- he convicts him of the crime and throws him into the lion's den. Uh, so, and, and he, the king was really nervous all night because he, he just doesn't want Daniel to die. He likes this kid, but he also sees his potential and he's very important. So verse 19 Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. So the king was thrilled that Daniel was alive. He figures out that these guys actually set it as a trap for him. So the king has those dudes and their wives and their kids all thrown into the lion's den. Darius was uh, a harsh man, right? So um, then verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Okay, so much like the fiery furnace story in chapter 3 that we looked at for the previous two Sundays, this in, involves a, uh, like a royal edict 
that uh, goes against the faith of, of God's people. Um, they refuse to, to obey, whether it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel. And then they're thrown into like a really uh, a certain death situation, and God rescues them. And not only does he rescue them, uh, the end of the story has, has the king uh, praising God and promoting Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel. Like these are, these, there's a lot of similarities between these two stories. And, uh, and, and normally, like the focus of the story is like, man, God like, held the mouth of the lion closed. Like, that's a miraculous thing. And that tends to be what the story is known for. And so I started to, to really just ask the Lord, okay, what, what are we supposed to talk about in here? And I was just really drawn toward like, what, what makes you the kind of person that gets thrown into a lion's den in the first place? You know, like what was it about Daniel's life um, that uh, is worth modeling, uh, modeling ourselves after, like following after? What, what does he show us and demonstrate to us that we are to be challenged by? And the word integrity, just, it just kept coming to me over and over and over again, just his, his integrity. And so that's kind of what I'm going to zero in on today um, is how his integrity got him thrown into the den of the lions. And, um, so when I say the word integrity, you, you, you know, we all kind of probably think of different things and there's different ways to define it. And, um, when I, when I, when I am talking about integrity, what I real, what I mean is like the, the consistency of his life that, um, that uh, in all areas of life, he, like his faith impacted them. So he wasn't like one person at home, one person at work, one person when he was hanging out with his friends, that kind of stuff. But there was a, a steadiness and everything about him, his faith like connected to. Well, if you look at verse four and verse five, here's, here's where this comes from um, for, for me for this uh, sermon today. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Like they, they go digging through his life to like, surely we can find something. And they came up, they came up empty handed, like, like we can't, we can't find anything. And if, like, if someone is your enemy, they will find something. And yet, they found nothing. And not only that, then they concluded in verse 5. These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And they said, the only way that we're going to mess with this dude's life is to go after his faith. That's it. And, sorry. Um, I really started thinking about just, just in, our, in our own lives. Like if someone were to try and discredit you somehow, discredit me somehow. Like someone, they, they, they put you in the crosshairs, they're like, I'm, I'm going after that guy, I'm going after that gal, I don't know. Uh, they're like, I, 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 I've got to take this person out. Um, in our day and age, it's probably not that hard to do. So they, if they started digging through our our emails and our text messages and um, our internet browser history and started going through our financial records and looking at our spending. Um, 
if they, I'm assuming this happens in real life, like if they broke into your house and put uh, like bugs, like microphones and stuff in your smoke detector and different things like that, and they listen to everything that you said, or even more creepily, they put, put up cameras, you know, like I don't know if Homeland is like a real thing or not, but let's just say it's like, if you watch Homeland, if they went completely Homeland on you, and they're like, we're going to find something in this person's life. And they listen to every conversation. They, they, um, they were always spying on you, taking pictures, taking video, all this kind of stuff. If they followed you around, could they come up empty-handed and be like, we have nothing on this person. Like, we cannot discredit this, this person at all. And not only would, it, would they be able to like not find something against you, would they come with the way with the conclusion that like the only way we're going to mess with this guy's life or this lady's life is is by going after their faith. That's the only uncompromised part of life. Um, that's what we have to do. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that we're. Um, that we could attack. Like, and so, I, I, as you can tell, I'm, kind of like, I'm still just kind of stunned by this. And, and a part of what, what was convicting for me in studying about it is I was like reading it and I, I read that thing. I was like, man, nothing. They could turn up no dirt on him. That's, you know, like, good for that guy. You know, like, good for him. I'm happy for him. Um, I, on the new earth, I hope to meet him and be like, man, what was it like to be like so, to have so much integrity? Like, to have, like, that's great, you know. I found myself distancing myself from him as a possibility for my own life, you know? I'd be like, yeah, man, he's one of those biblical figures that like we're supposed to try, we're supposed to like aspire to that. And like, yeah, I'd like to be more like him. But I wasn't naturally be like, no, I want that exact same thing to be said of me. It's almost like it set up this impossible standard in my mind at first reading. And God very quickly like, kind of swooped in and was like, hold on there, buddy. Um, that's not just like a good for Daniel kind of thing. Like this is a, this is a picture of what, of what Jesus is, wants to do in your life. This is what God, this is what he does with us. Like he, he makes us into like people of integrity like this. He makes us the kind of, of people who, like, increasingly over time, there's less and less that our enemies could come after us because we're being um, renewed in the image of our Creator from one degree of glory to another. Like, day by day by day by day, this is happening. And God very quickly was like, Don't you look at Daniel as some, like, impossible thing and say, Good for him, that's really great, and go about your life. Look at him and say, Yeah, it's possible for him. And actually, you, you and I are more set up for this than Daniel was. God was with, he was with Daniel, but God is in you. I'll say it again. God was with Daniel. Like he was, in the Old Testament, God was with everyone. But when, when in Acts chapter 3, when God sends his spirit at Pentecost, um, it, it stopped being just God with us and it started being God in us. So he's with us and for us, like we were saying about, like that remains true, but he's also inside of us. And so Daniel had more working against him. You and I, we're totally set up for this. Like if you believe that God lives in you, that he is at work in you, that he can do whatever he wants, like he is able to do this, then you and I are like, we are becoming the kind of people who have this kind of integrity in our lives. That is what Jesus is doing in us. He's making us into the kind of people who are above reproach and our 
like our cooperation with him is crucial. And, but I don't want to talk too much about cooperation yet because I want to talk about something else that's very important as like a side thing and then I'm going to swing back into, into that. To some, to some people, not everyone, okay, by, by any means, so don't hear me. I always hate when people like label the church. They're like, the church is this, the church is this. Like, no, the, she's, she's too, too massive to just label the church as one thing. Okay, but there are, there are Christians in the, the big global church. There are local church bodies. There are faith communities that look at Christianity and they have reduced it to basically just a set of behavior patterns. And they say they stem from their beliefs, but the whole focus is on the behavior. It's this like list of do's and don'ts that, that keep us in line and help us feel like we're good and moral people. And so it's like this distorted alternative version of Christianity and where followers, you're just taught how to act. As long as you stay within those boundaries, you know, as long as you act the way they tell you to act, everything is totally cool. Um, Everything's going to be fine. And the call to discipleship is essentially a call to act a certain way and nothing more. Um, And this is kind of, kind of, it's become known as what some people would would call behavior modification. That there's a like an approach to that uh, approach to Christianity and following Jesus that basically reduces it down to just modifying your behaviors and um, these kinds of, of churches and communities like the external of our lives like that's like the primary thing that's the beginning and the end it's 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 just about what is external how we're acting how we're behaving and some of you grew up in these kinds of churches. Some of you grew up in these kinds of homes. Some of you grew up in these kinds of, of communities where it was just about reputation. It was just about behavior. It was just about the external thing. And as long as everything was okay on the outside, who cares about the inside? That's not really the goal. And um, so when it comes to a sermon on integrity, uh, if you have a behavior modification background, you will naturally default to, okay, well, what do I need to do differently? Just tell me what to do and, not, and to not do, you know? You kind of relax into that thing. It's like, just give me my list. You know, just give me my rules. I, I can follow rules. And that's my fear, honestly, is that you listen to this and you end up with just like, man, I just, well, tell me what I need to start, start doing or stop doing and to behave in certain ways. And here's the thing. The, the Bible doesn't, doesn't look at it that way. Like Jesus does not teach that behavior is the starting point for anything. In fact, all of, of the scriptures are, are pointing uh, to just the inverse of that. Now, behavior, let me, let me say something about this. Behaviors are easier to control. So uh, there's a, there are, are a lot of folks uh, out there who, like, let's say the approach to youth ministry is, we just need to get our kids, like, not saying bad words and not, like, texting inappropriately and like doing like all these kinds of things. We just need to get them acting right, get them, they need to stop getting in trouble in school and they need to stop doing this and start doing this and all that. And that's what, what, what you want your youth group to do is just behave correctly. That's the starting point is behavior. And all the while we have, we have this Bible that's like telling us something that's very different. Here's a couple of verses. You don't need to turn to them. Just a couple of verses. In first Samuel 16, they're looking for a king so what they do, they went out and they're like, let's go find like the tallest guy that we can. 
you know, because height equals awesome king, right? So big, tall guy named Saul, and this is what God tells Samuel. It says, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He's like, hey, Samuel, you know that humanity tends to be really vain, right? That's what they're going to do. They're going to they're go toward vanity and external things. That's what they're going to be like whispering in your ears. We've got to have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. You need to know that I'm looking not at the external, I'm looking at the internal. In Luke 6.45, Jesus says it this way. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And there's a lot of unpacking I could do with that verse, but just look at the, the global idea. Jesus is saying it's, it's about what's on the inside. That's, like, that is where like, the solution begins. It's internal, it's not external. In Matthew 23... He gets on to some of these religious people who are leading some of these kinds of youth groups and churches. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. He's like, nope, I'm going to direct you internally again. And this is a more subtle one, but in John 5, I'm sorry, sorry, John 15, verse 5. I think I might have told you verse 6, Debbie, I'm sorry. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, you're, you're, you're like a branch. And a branch has never produced fruit apart from the vine or the trunk of the, of the tree that's attached to you. It's, it, it won't happen. You cut, a, you cut a branch off and it falls on the ground and it immediately starts dying. It's not going to produce fruit. Jesus says it's about my life inside of you flowing into you and then the, the fruit is produced from there. It's internal, it's not external. My, my brother uh, is a, a minister up in Ohio and he said one time, he said, I said, you know, the problem with, with life as a branch is that a lot of times our focus is on, the, it's, it's, we're facing the wrong way. We spend our whole life looking at the end of our lives, looking at the fruit, obsessing about the fruit. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you need to face the other way. You need to be facing the vine. You need to be facing me because that is where all of that comes from. And so the main idea, before we get into like in, back into integrity, the main, the main idea is this, is that we live from Jesus, then we can live for Jesus. That is, Jesus brings us this reality that it's an inside-out transformation and not an outside-in modification. All right, that, that was good. I'm going to say it again. Jesus brings us an inside-out transformation, not an outside-in modification. You... Outside in would be, just change all your behaviors, but what's happening the whole time on the inside? It's like he says with the Pharisees. He's like, yeah, outside this cup is beautiful. And the inside is pride and self-indulgence, greed. And Jesus says, no, I've, I've come to do a work inside of you. And then from the inside work, then the behavior, like in all those kind of, they come like after, instead of modifying you, we're transforming you to where as I work my way through your life, you are not who you used to be. 
See, a modification, you just, I don't know, you can just change anything on the outside and it comes and goes and changes. But it doesn't change who you really are. And Jesus says, no, I'm here to change who you are. So instead of, instead of a, a gospel that basically says, what should I do and not do? It's a gospel that says, no, like, who, who, who am I? Like, who, who do you need me to be? Like, who has he created me to be? Let me be who he made me to be. And then with his empowerment of my efforts, then, then the fruit will, will be produced in the end of my life, but it's coming from him as my source. And so all this really begins with these, like these big questions. This, you know, who, who is God? What is, what is God like? What is God doing in our world? You know, what is, what is, what is going on? Like, what is he, how is he at work? Who, who am I? Who has he made me? What is he doing in my life? Who, who are we as his people? Like when we gather together, there's a, there's this corporateness. There's this, this we, this us-ness that's here. What is he doing among us? Who are we? What is our mission? How, how do we join him in what he's doing? We have all these big questions that are about character and they're about God's activity and identity and all this kind of stuff. And then from there, when we're living from him, then those behaviors, like they follow suit from our identity. So do we change behaviors? Of, of course we do. I'm not sitting here saying like, you don't have to ever change anything about yourself. No, like, like the, the whole Bible is like very much on board with us doing things. But the key isn't that we do them. The key is why, why are we changing these things about us? Like why, why are we pulling the trigger on some of these things? Why are we enacting change in us? Are we doing it to just check the religious and moral boxes? Or are we doing it because we love him? We believe in him? That's the difference between religion and relationship. And when God has made you alive, you look at everything differently. Like when he has crossed you from death to life, when he has taken your, your dead heart of stone and resurrected it with him to make you alive, then you start to look at things differently. And that's really what this is about. Is in, terms of, in terms of integrity, now that we're alive, on the, like the, in, the internal us is alive, now we start to look at all the external stuff differently. Because we want to look at it as one who is alive, not as one who is dead. And so we begin to look at everything differently. And integrity is simply a matter of, of by, like, from our belief and our faith in who God is. And we are asking for his help. He empowers our efforts to, to make the outside line up with the inside. To make the, the, the behaviors consistent with who we are across the board in all areas of life. That we recognize, like, yes, yeah, sometimes those things sync up really well, and sometimes there's a dissonance there. Can you bring me into perfect unity with yourself so that my life is consistent to the point where if someone, if someone were to even try to come after me, they couldn't because you've done this work in me. And have I changed behaviors? Yes, but it's, it's from my faith and from my love and from uh, this belief of what Jesus is doing. So the prayer becomes, Jesus, please show me where to begin because I love you, I want to join you in what you're doing, and I want to bear much fruit. So, we okay on behavior modification, the difference? I tried. So, so cooperating, let's go back to Daniel real quick as I kind of try to land this sucker. Why was his life like so full of integrity? Well, I'm having to read into the story a lot. Okay, so... 
give me some grace there, but I'll talk more about this next week. So please come back for part two because uh, I had a blast studying Daniel. And granted, I probably should have studied him in seminary, but I don't remember any of this from seminary. But I had fun catching up this week. Um, but when you look at the, his whole life story, it seems that he believed that God was at work in him and that God was at work in Israel, even though they were in exile. And he cooperated with God's activity in every area of his life. I think that's why his life was so full of integrity. He's like, man, God's doing something. I want to be a part of it. And so let's, like, let's do this. And so when you, like those internal questions and in his faith kind of work together. And so he acted from his faith. So here's a few things from his life. Like he, from his faith, he chose to cooperate as an exile. I mean, like they, they could have started like this big war. They could have fought back. They could have done whatever, but his from his faith, his belief in what God had, like the groundwork that he had laid, he's like, no, I'm going to cooperate as an exile. From his faith, he chose to accept the king's education. From his faith, he chose to accept a new name. Uh, Belteshazzar is actually the name that Nebuchadnezzar gave him. It's a pretty, pretty jazzy name, I think. Um, from his faith, he chose not to eat the king's food. From his faith, he chose to accept promotions within the kingdom. From his faith, he chose to interpret the king's dreams for him. From his faith, he chose to pray toward Jerusalem three times a day. From his faith, he chose to continue to pray uh, three times a day and end up violating this royal edict. Like, it's from his faith he made all these choices in all these different areas of his life. From here, lining up his behaviors with his beliefs. It's from his faith. It's internal, not external. And so what we have to conclude, in my opinion, is that... From his faith, his outward life was so consistent with his inward life that his enemies couldn't come against him except for with his God. Like they were like, okay, that's the one thing. That's the one thing. And so from our own connection to Jesus, who's our vine, we're able to choose and act. And this is where integrity develops. It's the same thing. It's, It's from him. It's from this belief in him. And so it's really, I, I think... Something like something like this is more of a, it's more of a challenge. I think you know, like to really think about our lives and to pray through our lives and to and to really think like, okay, God, where will you show me where where things are consistent, where there is integrity between how I how I how I live my life and my belief? Would you also show me where there's a lack of integrity, where there's a, where things are inconsistent? And you might like you might know where to. You might, as soon as I said the word integrity, you might have gone to like a certain part of your life and you're just, it, God just been tapping on that and you're like, dude, just shut up, man. Like, stop talking. Leave me alone. But if you don't know where to start, let me maybe kind of just put it in two, in two realms real quick. Maybe thinking in terms of our public life and our private life would be helpful. Our public life, meaning... Uh, what the general population sees, you know, so like your work life, your social socializing with friends, interacting with friends, those, those kinds of things, you know, like there, like if you bumped into a coworker at a church thing, would they be surprised to see you, you know, like that, like that kind of thing. Like I remember when I was in middle school and high school, they would do this. They probably still do this thing. I'll see you at the pole. And it was like a prayer, a prayer thing, right? And it's all the youth groups would kind of get organized and all the Christians would show up at the flagpole at the school to pray before school on this one day. 
And I remember like always being surprised, like who was there, you know, like, oh yeah, okay, all right, good for you. And then realizing like people, they might, they're probably surprised I'm here too. Oh my goodness, what's going on? Like, but is there a consistency in our work life or in our school life or when you're socializing and you're like, you're just out with friends and that kind of stuff, like, are we engaging in things that are consistent with, with who we are and with our beliefs or is there a lack of integrity? Like, are we, are we different than we are other places? Maybe even church. Like, are you different when you and your friends are going out doing something on a Friday night than you are on Sunday mornings here? Like, is there an, an inconsistency there? Even something like social media that, that, that the general population sees, like, um, would Jesus be able to follow you on Instagram? It sounds so dumb. It sounds dumb in my head when I thought about it. But like, but really, like, we've all, like, if you're an Instagram person, there are probably, like, accounts that you followed, and then eventually you're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, this is bad for me. And I think it's a good question. Would Jesus be able to follow you on Instagram? Or he'd be like, hmm, can't unsee that. Or could someone go through your social media feed and be like, yep, this person is definitely a believer. If we were to go after them, their faith would be the only way, that kind of thing. Then, then there's so like that public life, like what everyone sees. And there's like that private life, which by that I mean like the things that like very few people see, you know, or maybe no one sees. So if you, if you live by yourself, or if you have some roommates, or if it's you and your wife, or you and your wife and your kids, like that kind of like home life, you know, very few people see that stuff. Are you a different person when you're at home than you are other places? And if you're curious about that and you're a parent, just ask your kids. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Um, if you are a different person at home than you are other places, they're going to they're gonna be working through that as an adult with a counselor. And I'm, I'm pro-counseling. I think everyone needs to do counseling, stuff like that. But no parent wants to be the reason your kid is in counseling, right? But that integrity, your home life being consistent, somebody that your kids are watching it and they're listening, and it is wildly important. Are you a different person when you're at home? Do you speak to your spouse differently in public than you do in private? Is it consistent with who God has made you? Um, private life, you're spending, like, do you, do you handle money like a follower of Jesus or not? You know, like a steward of, of his money with entertainment. Do you, do you compromise or justify it? You're like, oh, that's not really a big deal. You know, I can watch this. I can, you know, whatever. It's fine. Or when you're completely alone, alone, like when no one else is around, are you the same person as, as you are when all kinds of people are around? Those kinds of things. I don't say all this to like uh, to be like, man, I, let's all find a way to feel bad about ourselves. Because that's not the point. See, the church should be the safest place to admit that we have some work to do and to confess some things because we're all in the same boat. I don't think any of us would put ourselves on par with Daniel, you know. But what's awesome is that Jesus looks at, at us and I think he looks at this room. I think he's stoked about the, like, the potential like, um, development of integrity in our lives because he sees it. He, he knows it. All, all we really have to do is just say yes to him. You know? 
and say, show me where to start. I want to, I want to join you. Like, show, like, let's, let's do this. And for some, for some, it's a matter of like something that you need to start doing or something you need to stop doing. It's just as cut and dry as that, you know? Other times though, it's, it's a matter of like, it's a matter of conversation. Like it's about seeking counsel with someone of saying, my life is inconsistent, but I don't know, I don't know what to do about it. You know, you sit down with someone that's objective. Um, for some of you, it's about having a conversation with your spouse or with your kids or with your best friends or whatever. Sometimes it's about confession. Um, but whatever those next steps are, Jesus is excited about it. He, he, he believes in you. I know it sounds weird. He believes in me. Like he has faith in us. Now he knows that it's his power doing everything, you know, but it's, it's like this, this tandem bicycle of sanctification where he's like, cool, let's, let's pedal together. Let's work together. You, like you take the steps, I'll empower you with them from, from within and we'll bring about this change. We'll, we'll take those things that are inconsistent and we'll like, we'll line them up together We'll, we'll bring your, we'll bring all the different facets of your life up onto the same like sense of unity across the board. I'm develop, I'm developing integrity in you. That's what I'm doing. And it's simply recognizing that he has already said yes to us in this. Like he, you don't have to wonder, are you on board with, he, he has already said yes. He said yes to you on the cross. In a minute, when, when the communion opens up and our servers, when, they, when they're holding it out to you, it's Jesus saying, I've already said yes, this is where it is. It's the body of Christ broken for you. It's the blood of Christ poured out for you. And you take that bread and you dip it in the, in the juice and it's, you're saying yes to his yes. And it's like, cool, we both say yes, that's awesome. Let's get to work. So that will be a, a possibility, maybe one way that you want to respond. You may want to come and kneel and pray down here. You may want someone to pray with you. We'll have some folks on the front row that'll do that. You might just want to sing. Um, but if God is stirring something in you and there's a desire for you to grow in integrity and consistency of your life, you need to know that he's on board. And if you don't know where to start, just ask him. He may not show you in this moment today, but just keep asking him. He will do it. And you know this, this church, like one of the things we do is we walk together. And so if you're like, I'm not sure what to do, there are a lot of people who would love to be in that journey with you. You need to know that you're not, you're not the only one in this boat. We're in this boat together. All right, I'm done. Let me pray. Tell you what, let's stand. That'd be good. Father, there's, there's not a single person in here who is following you who has been raised to walk in newness of life by your spirit, who in their most honest place says, yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want integrity in my life. I don't want the outside to line up with the inside. I don't want that fullness. I don't want, I don't want that life. None, none of us would say that, really. However, um, to some, it may feel like a very like unachievable thing. And so I ask, Father, that you would encourage us all today to just look at what, what's the next obedience step. Like, what's, what's the next thing that you're putting in front of us? For some, it might be, like, go take communion. For some, it might be, go kneel and pray. For some, it might be, just stand there and sing. For others, 
they may know it involves a conversation or seeking wise counsel. There's so many possibilities. Only you know. So help us to not get overwhelmed with the the massiveness of the journey ahead of us, but just to realize that all you do is look at us and you say, let's just take one step at a time. And as long as we're taking steps toward you and with you and from you and for you, uh, we're, we're doing fine. And so would you help us we, we cannot make the outside line up with the inside. We can't transform. Only you can transform. We can modify. That's easy. Only you can transform. So in these moments, as we respond in these different ways, would you, uh, would you help us just to, to have that confidence to know that you're at work and that you are with us and for us, but you're also in us? Help us to abide deeply in these moments. We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right, the communion tables are open. You're welcome uh, to come here. You don't have to be a member of this church to do that. If you want what Jesus has for you, you, uh, you're welcome anytime.